When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's November 20th, 1820, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When I lived in Spain and went to see a bullfight, I had this profound sense that I'd like to see a matador get gored as a kind of a payback for all of that bull killing. But I must confess, when it actually happened and I saw a man stuck on a bull's horns, I felt this immediate sense of both horror and sympathy. And it was similar with this real-life story of the ship that got rammed by a giant sperm whale today in history back in 1820 in an incident that inspired the tale of Moby Dick. I wanted to be a hundred percent team whale but the more i read into it the more sympathetic i found myself becoming to the poor old whalers yeah so this ship was the essex it had sailed out of nantucket which is an island off the coast of massachusetts which was kind of the nexus of the whale hunting industry and what they would do in the first years of the industry was they would basically have lookouts in towers along the shore who would dispatch rowboats as soon as they saw a whale and they would then try and harpoon it lance it and drag it to land you know scary stuff these were quite small boats there were usually six or eight men in them Mm. and they would be desperately trying to stab a whale to death and drag it to shore but as the whaling business got bigger whale oil was a really vital lubricant for machinery so as you know the industrial revolution rolled on it became more and more prized the These ships were getting bigger and bigger, and they were going incredibly far afield. Mm. This ship, the Essex, was one year into a planned two-and-a-half-year journey. Try and imagine what that would be like to live on a boat for two-and-a-half years. And actually, just two days after they left Nantucket, they were hit with this massive storm that nearly sank the ship. And so they set their path for the South Pacific and stopped off at Charles Island in the Galapagos to restock. And there they had this other incident of great significance where they were collecting these 100-pound tortoises to eat. But as a prank, one of the crew members set a fire. And because it was the dry season, the fire spread incredibly quickly. And the ship's crew actually just made it off the island in time. But years later, Charles Island was still this blackened wasteland because of this fire that they set. And contemporary historians think that they may have caused the extinction of the Floriana tortoise and the Floriana mockingbird. I just love the idea that they're already going out over hunting whales. Right. Then they're like, let's stop off at the Galapagos and burn part of it. Yeah. And what they're going to be like, hey guys, have you thought about using like dodos as toothbrushes or yeah. something? Like, what else, can we, what else can we do while we're out here? But 
they've had another stroke of bad luck. They lost a crew member. A crew member deserted while they were stopping in Ecuador. And this is the kind of thing that was considered very bad luck. The whaling community was very into omens, mm-hmm. particularly because it was a very chancy industry, not least because of obviously the danger of being out at sea, but also because whalers were paid kind of on commission. So if you went into a run of bad luck and your ship didn't catch many whales, you could end up going home with almost nothing. you get termed a Jonah, wouldn't you? Mm. Yes, and nobody would want to sail with you. So whaling was a kind of gamble that was attractive only to the very adventurous or the very desperate. The pranksters, the turtle eaters. <laughs> the turtle eaters of the world. <laughs> there were 20 men aboard the Essex at this point after they lost this one man. The way they set up the hunting was that they would have six men go out on each of the smaller whale boats. So you had the main boat and then you had the whale boats, which is what they would use to go off and approach the whales and try to harpoon them. But that left only two men on board when all three whaling boats were out. There were only two men controlling an 87-foot ship. So it was already a little bit risky. So what had happened on this day was that the captain of the ship, George Pollard, he had gone out on his whaleboat. And one of the other whaleboats was being captained by a guy called Owen Chase, who was the first mate. But that boat was slightly damaged. So they returned to the main ship and they were on board trying to repair it. And everyone who's on this ship is really very young. You know, Pollard is only in his late 20s. Owen Chase was 23 at the time. And so while he's making these repairs, apparently Chase spotted this enormous whale off on the horizon. It was 85 feet in length, he estimated. Which is abnormally long, even for a male sperm whale. Right. It does these two or three spouts, which I imagine being, and I'm sorry to keep going back to this, but like a bull sort of, you know, um, beating its hoof against the ground. But then it makes its way straight for the Essex. As Chase recalled, it was coming down at us with great celerity. And then it smashes head on into the ship. Again, and I quote, such an appalling and tremendous jar as nearly threw us all on our faces. Now, obviously, the fact that you're quoting Chase means Chase survived. (laughs) Because obviously we wouldn't have his memoirs if he hadn't. Yeah. But there's a lot of death coming up, just to warn you. True. So whilst we've been a bit like, oh, I feel sorry for the whales, it is about to get dark. <laughs> so what happened is the whale then came back, according to Chase, with, quote, tenfold fury and vengeance in his aspect until the ship was on its side and mm. clearly going to sink. At which point, the whalers who were out on the boats turned around and was like, oh, what's happened to our boat? Mm. And there was no way to right the ship. I mean, just imagine the horror of that, realising... That, I mean, if you're a, an ocean head, not degrees 40 south latitude, 119 degrees west longitude is where they were, <laughs> which is 1,200 miles from the nearest island. Mm. Realising that's your position. Last time you went to an island, you set a fire that killed all the animals. <laughs> and now you're, you're not welcome at islands anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Pollard agreed that they should set sail for South America. That would be their last stop off. Although, because of the trade winds, this would be a 4,000 mile journey in three whale boats that could hold six men each and some supplies. Unfortunately, even the supplies that they could fit in the boats were sea soaked food mm. and a real shortage of fresh water and you can see how that's going to be a really diabolical catch-22. So after two weeks, the men were already drinking their own urine. And throughout, they were being attacked by killer whales. I just didn't know that whales went around ramming ships except in fictional stories as presented to us by Melville. But after just a month, they completely ran out of supplies. They did actually hit an island, but it was barren and so most of the men decided to get back in their boats and keep going but three men actually decided to stay and take their chances presumably waiting for a boat to come pick them up 
Which it did, like miraculously. You'd think that this is the worst possible decision you could make, right? Is to stay on this uninhabited, barren island in the middle of the ocean. But a year later, they were picked up by Mm. a boat and all of them were alive. They were rescued. I mean, you might think, wow, that sounds horrible. Imagine being stuck on an island for a year. But when you find out what happens to the guys who didn't stay behind, actually a year on a barren island doesn't seem so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, oh. How do we broach mm. this subject? I feel like we're I all mean, avoiding the inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> the initial ration was uh, half a pint of water and a ship's biscuit, so they were hungry anyway. Then they ran out of the rations. One of the crewmen on one of the boats died anyway. Through mm. hunger, I guess? Yeah, this was a guy called Richard Peterson, but they weren't quite desperate enough to consider doing anything with his body at this point except sewing it up in a blanket and throwing it overboard. Three weeks later... Isaac Cole's remains were much less lucky. The Mm. men were extremely hungry at this point and they started to countenance the unthinkable. After some intense debate, they decided to eat his liver and kidneys. They tried to eat his flesh, but they couldn't stomach it at this point. Mm. Yeah, he was on Chase's boat and in a demented fit, he stood up and then fell into what Chase said was a most horrid and frightful fit of convulsions, and then he died the next morning. And that's when they began to do this unthinkable and yet wholly comprehensible thing of eating one another. You can imagine the conversations that are going on between the first one being chucked over and three weeks later when they then then eaten the organs. Obviously, that was the result of a discussion, right, about what's the principled Christian way to do this. Yeah. Chase wrote afterwards that they then drew lots to decide who was going to be shot next and then another lot for who was going to do the shooting. Oof. So by this point, only Pollard's boat is left and the men aboard it are reasoning with one another that without more food, they're going to die. And on February the 6th, 1821, which is nine full weeks after they'd had to kiss goodbye to the Essex, Charles Ramsdale, who was a teenager, suggested that they draw lots and see who they're going to eat. And the lot eventually fell to a young uh, chap called Owen Coffin, who was the captain's first cousin. Terrible bit of nominative determinism, uh, that. Isn't yeah, it? I know. <laughs> seriously. And Owen Watery Grave. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to <laughs> straw. O- Owen best meets in the rump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, Pollard uh, didn't want to eat his cousin, but the boy apparently submitted to it. But the thing was that Pollard had promised his mother, the boy's mother, that he'd look out for him at sea. And so Pollard was shouting, I'll shoot the first man who touches you. But Coffin stepped forward and said, I like it as well as any other. Yeah, and five days later, another member of the crew, a guy called Ray, died. So this was leaving at this point only Captain Pollard and Ramsdale, who were soon reduced to beating Ray and Coffin's bones on the floor of the boat to crack the marrow out of Mm. them. I know, it's really, really dark. Finally, on the 23rd of February, a fellow Nantucket whaler, by chance, the Dauphin, spotted them adrift near the coast of South America. Although at this point they were so close to death, they apparently didn't even notice the ship approaching them. They weren't able to interact in any way by this point. Mm. But they were nursed back to health and ultimately returned to Nantucket, where and now we they... get to the happy ending! Yay! <laughs> we went back to sea as whalers! Can you imagine? <laughs> Well, it was difficult for Captain Pollard, though. He was then considered a Jonah, that thing we were talking about earlier, like an unlucky captain. Yeah, he only had one more voyage, understandably. Not not a surprise. So the moral is, don't hunt whales. This episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. 
patreon.com slash <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.